This is the series that we're doing about taking the limits off God. I don't think there's a person alive that doesn't limit God in some area. But I think, I think it's a, a, perva- a pervasive attitude that we need to have of taking the limits off God. I think when we look at ourselves, that's where we limit God because we limit God to what we believe is self's ability. And I was talking to our own Tim Blanton a little bit earlier this afternoon on the phone, and, and we were talking about how, uh, you, know, the, you know, we limit God, you know, and God wants to do so many things that are so, so big and so great in, in, in our lives. Well, anyhow, I don't know why I got off on all that, but it's all good. Um, Psalm 78, 41 is kind of the foundational verse here, and, and I'm not going to go there, but it's that, well, I am going to go there because I want you to see something. Go to Psalm 78, 41. There's something I want you to see here that I want to see it too. Psalm 78, 41, talking about God's covenant people under the old covenant, the children of Israel. And I find this fascinating. And it says in Acts or Psalm 78, 40, uh, 41, it says, Yea, they turned back. That's interesting. And they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. I find it interesting that it says they turned back. And, and as I think about that, and there's a scripture in Stephen's dissertation before he was martyred, In Acts chapter 7 and verse 39, it says how they went back to Egypt in their hearts. Isn't that fascinating? And I think, you know, it's it's the disposition of our heart. And when I think of going back, I think, well, what does that look like? You know, some people use terminologies backsliding, which the scripture does use. But but I think it's just looking back. And here's another example. The children of Israel, when they, they were in terrible bondage in Egypt, I mean, awful. But once they got in the wilderness and things got tough, then they started accusing Moses and saying, basically, we had it made in Egypt. They didn't have it made in Egypt. And, you know, sometimes we look back at what we call the good old days and we think that, well, it's, it, or, 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 but really, when you were in the middle of the good old days, you had issues going on then too. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is the good old days are right now. Amen. And I think when we go back in our hearts to what we believe is comfortable, you know, easy on the flesh, uh, you know, we, we limit God. God. I believe God is a forward-moving God. And in, in fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it talks about that your progress or, or your profiting may appear unto all. And it literally means uh, progress, going forward, uh, not turning back. And I, I think that's, that's amazing. In fact, um, let, me, let me just do this one. Go to Philippians chapter 3. I've talked about this before, but it's so good. We need to see it again. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going I'm to actually do it from the New American Standard because I, I like it better from there. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, we talked about having that pressing on mind, if you'll, if you'll recall that. And Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, and in verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained it, this is from the New American Standard, or have already become perfect, uh, complete, mature. In other words, I haven't exhausted God. That's another way to say it. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Verse 13, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it or apprehended it. Yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies at forward. Now, this doesn't mean Paul never remembered where he came from. Because other verses, he says he was the chief sinner and different things like that. But he didn't live there. Amen? 
I think we go back when we try to live in the past. Now, this can be positive, too. I know people that they want to talk about the good old days of ministry and all the miracles they saw and all the different things, but they're not pressing on. You know, it's great to remember the, the good things, and, to, and it's great. We need to learn from past negative experiences. There, things are recorded in Scripture. So when Paul said uh, he uh, forgot those things which were behind me, it did not, does not mean he didn't remember. I can show you Scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, 9, other places. He remembered where he came, he, he came from, but he didn't live there. That's the difference. And you know how you can tell if you're living there? Real simple. Your emotions. Now, I'm not saying, I mean, I'm ta- I mean, if I've been, if something happened to me 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago and the pain is still fresh, maybe somebody hurt me or whatever, I'm living there. <laughs> That's unforgiveness. I can remember negative things people have done to me and so can you. But you have to, but when that comes up, do you, is the pain there? If the pain's there, if the emotion is there, you haven't let it go. You haven't forgiven. Forgiven is just giving, giving it to God. And it could be anything. I'm just using forgiveness as an example. Amen? So, so I'm saying all that. We limit God when we turn back, and that's a heart disposition. Amen? Like Lot's wife, we look back and we become a pillar of salt. In other words, we're, we're no longer functioning. So it's, it's imperative that we, we, look, we go forward, that God's always got more. None of us have exhausted God. And this is God's plan for everyone. You know when the Bible says, hey, Seth, you know when the Bible says that, hello, when, when the Bible talks about, um, I forgot what I was going to say, but it was good. <laughs> Anyhow, so, so that's how we can tell if we're living in the back. Can you, another one over the Steve, another outline there. You can tell, we can tell if we're living in the past by the emotion that's attached to when we recall the situation. And I can also tell you this, when it comes to forgiveness, I can tell you if you've really forgiven someone and you've given it to God, doesn't mean you approve of what they did, uh, you tend to, what, what happened? I mean, after years, you can remember, but it's not, it's not fresh. Because that's not your focus. So when Paul said in Philippians 3, he said, this one thing I do, forgetting what's behind me, he, it did not say he, he didn't learn. And then he says here in verse 14, I press on toward the goal of uh, Philippians 3, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then this verse, I love, love, love. Verse 15, let us therefore as many as be mature or perfect, what the word means complete or mature, have this attitude. Old King James says, be thus minded. And if in any, any, what attitude? The pressing forward attitude. The not living in the past. The not turning back in your heart attitude. Okay? So let us many as be mature have this attitude of pressing forward, not living in the past. And if in anything you have a different attitude, one that limits God, God will reveal that also to you. That is awesome. And what I love about that is if, if I look at my heart, and we all know what's in our heart, right? And if my attitude is that pressing on, I, want, I don't want to limit God. Amen? Now, we can say that. I can say that. But, man, when, you, when we say, Lord, I take the limits off God, I mean, you know what that means? That means God's going to stretch us. Because God is way bigger than any of us have ever. And as long as we're in this life, life God's got more for us because he wants to reach people. 
I just think that's powerful. All right, so get to your outline if you have an outline. Hopefully everyone does. We're talking about taking the limits off God. And they limited God. We read in, in Psalm 78, 41. So God's limitless, but we can limit him. Okay, now fear activates Satan and releases his power the same way that faith activates God and releases his power. Fear is faith. Fear is faith, but it's in the opposite direction. It's in the negative. Worry is a symptom of fear. Worry is meditation on the negative and all the negative that could happen. Faith is meditating on on how good God is and how he's qualified you as a born-again child of God to receive his blessing. Amen? It says, so fear is faith in the opposite direction. Go to Job, the book of Job, Job. Look at this. This is amazing to me. And we've looked at this in our, on our Sunday thing, but I want to show you this in, in uh, Job's disposition. This is amazing to me. In, verse, in Job chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, Job said this, For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was I afraid of is come unto me. Wow. Verse 26, I was not in safety, neither had I rest. Neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. Look at that. The thing I greatly feared has come upon me. You know, we're sowing seeds all the time. And the seeds of this world are fear. Did you know that? Everywhere you go is fear. You read the news headlines, fear, everything, fear, fear, fear. And, and I like to say it like this. We're always gathering evidence, either from just our five physical senses or from the Word of God. Now, God gave us our senses, and we need to use them. But if all I do is gather my information from my five physical senses and what everybody's saying and what this person's saying and what you know, the media is saying and what all these things are saying, I'll tell you what, that's going to feed my heart a lot of seeds of fear. Amen? And Job was highly developed in fear. Now, to, Job didn't have the covenant you and I have. He didn't have the whole Bible you and I have. He lived before the cross, so he didn't have the advantages that you and I have. But we have a lot of advantages. And just like that thing we played of Joseph Prince on uh, Sunday about how people, because they're so addicted to social media, and so, I mean, there's nothing wrong in its proper place, but man, I mean, people spend hours scrolling on Facebook and finding out what that somebody ate a taco or what, you know, I mean, it, it's a tool. I, I, li- I like to use it to post Christian things. It's, it's not wrong in its proper place, but it can consume you. And we need to be consumed with the word, not because God's going to get mad at us, but because, listen, we're the product of what we think, think upon. So let me show you this before I show you another one. Jump over to 1 Timothy 4. I want to show you this. This is amazing. Watch this. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm liking doing this. This is amazing. This is Paul's instruction to Timothy, which applies to us. I'm just going to start with verse 12 because I love it. He said this in verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, let no man despise thy youth. That's amazing. There's so much we could say about that one verse. Paul told Timothy, you don't let anybody despise your youth. You know what I would have done, don't you? I would have told the congregation that Timothy, that I assigned Timothy to minister over. I said, listen, you guys be good to Timothy. He's young, but he's doing a good job, so knock it off. That isn't what Paul said. Paul told Timothy, you don't let him rent space in your brain. 
Isn't that, now, what a, what's a lesson? That's a lesson for us. I don't have to be offended. Even when people do things that offend me. <laughs> Amen? So, but it, it goes on. I'm not going to spend too much time here. But he didn't stop there. But he said, be an example. Be an example of the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. That's amazing to me. Not only don't, don't uh, let anybody despise your youth, you go ahead and be an example <clears throat> in these areas. And I think that's amazing. What a lesson. What a lesson. So, you know, uh, we deal with kids. We have kids, you know, they're a little older now, but, uh, but our daughter, no. You, it doesn't matter what they did to you. You don't let them get in rent space in your brain. You don't have to do that. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. You cannot control what other people do. Newsflash. You can't do it. But you can control how you respond and how you react. I love that. God's graced you to do that. But anyhow, here's what I want you to see. We're talking about where we're gathering evidence from. And then he says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation and doctrine or teaching. Reading, the pub public and private reading of the word, exhortation, which is the Greek word parakalesis, and it means to call near, constantly be calling people near because of the cross and what Jesus did, and doctrine. Neglect not, this is so good, mm. neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbyter or the overseer. Don't neglect this gift, this charisma in Greek. And I personally believe, I, first of all, no one can lay hands on you and make you a pastor or make you an evangelist or make you a business owner. That's God's. But there is a gift that we can lay hands on you and you can receive called the baptism in the Holy Ghost. You can do that. Amen? And that's the charisma he's talking about. And when it says neglect not, the Greek word amaleo, this is so powerful. It's present tense, it's imperative, which means it's a commandment. And here's what it means. To neglect not, it means to not think about and thus not respond appropriately. Wow. That's why you need me to remind you all the time to pray in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> because if you don't think about it, you won't respond appropriately. You won't use it. It's a grace gift. Hallelujah. But anyhow, so we're taught, this is, this is so powerful. Watch this. It says, meditate upon these things, reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Meditate. Now this, the, the New American Standard says, take pains with these things. Wow. Exert effort. This isn't effort to earn. This is effort to enter and to marinate in this stuff. God loves you if you never read your Bible. If you never pray, but you're very foolish to not have relationship with God. My wife loves me if we never take a walk together. If we never, but you know what? We need to have relationship if we're going to have a good relationship. God's on God's end, He loves you and He invites you into that relationship. But see, I used to wonder why does the Bible say pray without ceasing? 1 Thessalonians 5:17. Why does it say that? That's, that's a mystery to me. And then I learned it one day. It's because it's found in 1 John 5, 19, where it says the whole world lies in wickedness. The first part of the verse says, we know that we are of God and the whole system lies in the lap of the wicked one. See, once again, go back to gathering evidence. We're gathering evidence either from our five physical senses solely, what other people say, our experience, 
That's our evidence, or we're gathering it from the Word of God. See, we need to study 2 Timothy 2.15 to show ourselves that we've been approved of God in Christ Jesus, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Amen? It's God already knows it. But if I, never, if I never marinate in it, if I never meditate in it, guess what? I won't know it. People say, oh, I can't meditate the word day and night. You can worry day and night. Guaranteed. Well, I, you don't understand. I got a job. Oh, God will give you a way. He'll show you. Just put a scripture that the Lord's speaking to you and meditate on. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. He'll give you more. Amen. God is faithful. Faithful is he that called you, who also will do it. Back to 1 Timothy 4. I don't want to spend too much time here. But, it, but notice what it says here. It says, neglect not the gift which you get. Meditate, verse 15. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy. And, and, and um, the New American Standard says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. So why? So that your progress may appear to all. Wow. Reading the Word of God, exhortation, calling near because of what Jesus has done, and doctrine or teaching. Give attention to those three things. Don't neglect the gift that was given to you. Meditate upon these things. Be absorbed in them. In fact, I remember studying that in the Greek years ago, and it's a picture of the same way our physical bodies are saturated in air. We got air all around us right now. Think about it. Your bodies are immersed in air. That's how much he's calling us to be immersed in the Word of God. Not because God's saying, if you don't do this, I'm mad at you. God loves you. It's settled. It's unconditional on his behalf, but he wants you to know it. And I'm telling you, you get hooked on Jesus, it's awesome. <laughs> it's the you know, relationship with God is the only thing that I know of where you can be more satisfied but more hungry at the same time. I don't understand that. It's like I'm hungrier than ever, but I'm more content than ever. I told someone today we was talking about it, and, and, and I said, you know what's exciting? I'm excited about what God's doing, but I'm more excited about the Lord. <laughs> I'm more excited about the Lord than I am about what he's doing. And I think that's how he wants it. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, so be absorbed in these things. Why? Because there's all kinds of fear in this fallen world. Look at 1 John 4. 1 John 4, and look at verse... uh, I'm going to start with verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. Verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect or mature. Here's what the love of God looks like in my soulish realm, my mind, my will, and my emotions, in my experience, in my walk, when it's mature in my understanding. Here's what it looks like. That I may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so am I in this world. The day of judgment he's speaking of here is when something comes against you in this life, it's not talking about the future judgment, which is coming, great white throne judgment for unbelievers, the Bema seat for believers. He's talking about when something comes against you, like depression, like sickness or whatever, that Jesus has been judged for. If the love of God's perfected in your heart, faith works knowing that you're loved, Galatians 5, 6. Faith is working. 
Here's what it looks like when it's matured. So you can have boldness in the day of judgment. That boldness is a Greek word, parisi. It means a boldness that speaks up and speaks out. It's a boldness that's not afraid of being censored. It's so confident. It, the heart's so settled in God's love for you and you and me. That's, that's why Paul said in Philippians, or excuse me, Ephesians 3, pray that you'd be able to comprehend this love of God, the breadth, the length, the depth, and height of it, which passes finite, limited human knowledge. God's love is otherworldly so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. <laughs> How about all the fullness of the things of God? That ain't what it says. It says of God. And it goes on to say, now, because of this, now unto him that is able to do, he's released to do, exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power that's working in you. That's the power of faith working by love. Knowing that you're loved, knowing that he's qualified you to receive all that he's made available to you. Knowing that he wants you to take the limits off him because he wants you to fulfill your God-ordained purpose. Amen? There's, uh, I get so excited. But so back to 1 John 4, so uh, we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Now watch this. We're talking about the difference between faith and fear. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love. That's amazing to me. But perfect love or mature love or love that's allowed to uh, be mature in your life and your understanding, it will cast out fear. You don't get rid of fear by trying to get rid of fear. You don't shovel the dark out of the room by trying to shovel it out. You turn the light on. Perfect love. Once you know how much, how loved you are. I was in the post office, what is today? Wednesday, Monday or Tuesday, one of them days. And I was standing there in the line and, I, and it just hit me. He said, most of my people think they're doing life on, in their own strength. Most of my people live like they're on their own and they're not. He said, and, I, and the Lord gave me Isaiah 41 verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. The word help, I've told you this before, it literally means custom-designed help for whatever situation you're in. That's a goal. I said, man, Lord, how many times do I? The reason we worry is because we think we're on our own. That's the truth. And then he gave me another verse. <laughs> It's, it's found in, I want you to see it. It's found in Psalm 511. Watch this. It says, let all those, let all those who put their trust in thee rejoice. Now watch this. If I've put my trust in Jesus, my relationship with God through Jesus, if my trust is in him, I will rejoice. If I'm not rejoicing, my trust isn't in Jesus. Hold on, I got to make sure the escape hatches in case somebody starts throwing something at. That's not a cut. That's exciting to me. If I'm not rejoicing, it's only because I'm not trusting him. Notice what it says in Psalm 511. But let all those who put their trust in thee rejoice. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, in case you have missed it, I said rejoice. To rejoice is a choice. I was listening to Andrew's broadcast for tomorrow, and he was saying, you know what? Even if you die, man, you go to be with the Lord. That's the ultimate goal. <laughs> That's exciting to me. We should be excited about that. 
We don't want to go home early because there's a lot to do, but I'm telling you guys, this life pales in comparison to that. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. This is so amazing. It says, it says, I reckon, Paul was from the South. I'm teasing. <laughs> it's legizo my in Greek. It means to, a, it's an accounting term. He said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, watch this, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I remember that verse coming to me. I told my wife, Jen and I have been married over 21 years or whatever, but I was married before. And I remember when my wife had ectopic. There's two Greek words for you. You know what ek? Ek is the Greek preposition. It means out. And topic, topos, is where like ground, topos. So ectopic pregnancies were when the fetus starts developing in the fallopian tubes. It doesn't get into the womb. And I remember when I was married the first time. See, we've been through some stuff. And I remember that going, and the Lord gave me that verse. He said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Colossians 1.5 says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel? Listen to me. We have goals in this life. We have hopes in this life. But our ultimate hope is in him and in eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, 4. For this life only we have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable. You don't hear that preached too much. It didn't say we don't have goals in this life. It says, but if this is our only goal, if this is it, we're all men most miserable. We got a ton to look forward to. But see, this is part of taking the limits off God. There's a real excitement in being in God's perfect will for your life. And it's, well, it'll start when I move here and I move to Fiji Island or what? No, it starts right now, today. You could be on that. I, I've been telling people this. I go, to the best of my understanding, I'm in God's perfect will for my life at this time. And God don't change his mind every two weeks. I was listening to Joseph Prince. I thought it was funny. He was talking about, he goes, you have people come to the church and they'll say, yeah, God told me to come here. God told me to come here. And he goes, that's when he starts getting nervous. And then he says, he goes, he says, what do you, do you enjoy uh, Pastor Prince's preaching? They'll ask him. He says, well, you know, not, God just told me to come here. Because usually when God tells them to come here, eventually he tells them to go somewhere else. It ain't God. <laughs> it's just people saying stuff. Amen? I mean, God's, I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I believe it's verse 17. He said, the things that I purpose, do I use lightness? That with me, there's yes, yes, and no, no. In other words, do I start things and not finish things? Do I do this? Do I use lightness? No. I see it through is what Paul was saying. Hallelujah. That's godly. So so we're talking about, but look at this. But let all those, Psalm 511, that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy. Why? Because God defends them. Wow. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For the Lord blesses the righteous. If you're born again, you're righteous. With favor, he compasses or surrounds you as with a shield. That's awesome. That's covenant talk right there. All right, so number two, in your, or number A on your outline under one. Fear paralyzes people, yet many people are living their lives in fear. One, letter B. One fear that limits God, what God can do in our lives is the fear of man also known as persecution. <laughs> um, the Bible says, and it's in your outline, we'll see it later, in Psalm or Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare. But I love the rest of the verse. 
But whoso puts, I love that. That's my choice. Trust in the Lord shall be safe. That's awesome. That's a promise. You know, there's some amazing promises in the Bible, but you and I have to claim them. Do you know, you can have an inheritance in the bank, and if you never make a withdrawal or you never make a claim, it's all there for you. It's yours. But guess what? You're not signing on the line and saying, I want to make a withdrawal. Do you know the Bible says, watch this, Proverbs 12, 21. There shall no evil happen to the just, but the wicked shall be filled with mischief or calamity. Now, how many of you even knew that was in the Bible? Let alone, don't raise your hand. Let alone claim it. This doesn't mean we don't go through things, but we go through things. and No evil is going to overtake us if we believe it, if we claim it, if we talk it, if we say it. You know, I've been discovering, like when it comes to being the righteousness of God in Christ, you really got to say it. I've been doing the thing at night where I go to bed and I have this pad and I write almost every night and I write, I am, and I say it while I'm writing it, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jim Richards says that's really powerful. Write something on your heart. And sometimes well, I don't feel real righteous. <laughs> Another one I do is, as Jesus is, so am I in this world. What am I doing? I'm, I'm working on my heart. I'm working on my heart. See, this is the problem. It's not what our, my head believes. It's what my heart believes. Amen? You can have great information in your head, correct biblical information. You can parrot the talk. You can do all that. But it ultimately, it comes to, down to what your heart's saying. And here's how you tell what your heart's saying. Look at, look at check your emotions. That's what your heart's saying. Amen? And that's not a cut, but, but the good news is that if we get, a, we get, the Bible says in Romans 10, 10, with the heart man believes unto or into this right standing with God. And then with the mouth confession is made into salvation or all the benefits of our right standing with God. See, but it, we, it needs to be a lifestyle. A lot of Christians think that, that believe the, in death and life are in the power of their tongue. A lot of them think, well, just so I'm not saying negative things. Well, that's good, but you need to, we need to speak the word of God. Psalm 45 verse 1 says, My heart is indicting or overflowing with a good matter, and my tongue is as a pen of a ready writer. If the UPS man or woman, or they used to do it, they don't do it so much anymore, the Amazon just leaves the package on your thing, but you sign for the package when you declare the promises, and you believe, and you declare it. And you got, but I, I realize this, it takes a while for your heart, because it's been conditioned, even as a Christian. Sometimes we pray, and well, that, that didn't work out the way we thought, so that starts writing on our hearts. you got to counter that. I don't understand what happened, Lord, but I know you're good, and I know you're faithful, and I know your promises are true. God's never the variable. Never. That's not a condemning thing. Guess what? We're all seeing through a glass darkly. I don't have all the answers, but I'm telling you God's good. I'm telling you he's on our side. And he tells us these things because there's all kinds of arrows, of thoughts, and things that come at us. The Bible talks in Psalm 64 about how wicked men, they, they use bitter words. They wet their tongue, W-H-E-T. They sharpen their tongue and they shoot bitter words. Why? Because those words, those, those fiery darts of the wicked one, they're trying to get on the inside of you. 
Isaiah 55 verse 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you deserve this because you haven't been this or you haven't been that. But guess what? Jesus was that for me. I'll just get it because of Jesus, right? So, no weapon formed against me shall prosper, and every tongue, watch this, that rises up against me in judgment. I can have boldness in the day of judgment, right? Because as he is, so am I in this world. So every tongue that rises up against me in judgment, I shall condemn. That's not true. This is what God says. That's the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and our righteousness is of you. Isn't that awesome? But see, you got to use that. You got See, the, the word of God is a sword, and when, when, when these lies come at us, we got to take the sword of God's word out of his sheath, it's in our mouth, and begin to stab those fears, stab those lies, stab those things with the word of God. Sharper than any two-edged sword. All right, I got to fly. All right. Um, God, nobody likes to be persecuted. Oh, man. <laughs> the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Here's another one that puts it in perspective. Look at Matthew 10. I'm going to do these quick, but I want to get these in. Matthew 10. Look at verse 28. This is amazing. And fear not, this is Jesus speaking, fear not them which kill the body, <laughs> but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Think about that. Don't fear people that are destroying the body. Imagine if I'm laying in bed at night and all of a sudden I get up and I see somebody about ready to plunge a knife into me. I, that would be pretty scary, right? But you realize what he's saying? He said, get this thing in perspective. And, and if you're born again, watch this. You are blessed. If your faith is in Jesus, I'm telling you, all the blessing that Jesus deserves, you deserve because he deserved it for you. You know, I was talking to Tim. Me and Tim were talking about this and we got on Psalm 212. I'll tell you what it says in a minute. But, but I was, I was, we were talking about what I said Sunday about there's a way that seems right to a man, but it, but it only leads or brings him to death in the big picture. And you know what that way is? Very simple. Well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not as bad as this person. I never killed anyone. And all the things people say, they have a form of godliness that denies the power. Now watch this. And this is what the Lord showed me. We, we watch biographies, my wife and I, and, and, and some of these people, they're like nice people, but they think that you know, stars and stuff. They think that being nice is what, what merits them eternal life in heaven and stuff. It's wrong. Because Psalm chapter 2, verse 12 says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they who put their trust in me. If you put your trust in the son, you are blessed, blessed, irrevocably blessed. But it just puts a sense of urgency in me. Because so many people think, well, I'm not a bad person. I'm not that bad. I'm a moral citizen. You realize if you've ever won because of Adam's transgression, we all deserve hell. We were all disconnected from God. I, I marveled how much the Old Testament has, has opened up to me because I see it everywhere. I understand why there had to be such severe judgment because there was demonization back then and they didn't have deliverance like we have in the New Covenant. But point being, and, and they violated covenant. And that was a serious offense. I mean, think of a man was stoned for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. I mean, give me a break. But that's how powerful covenant is. But guess what? That's how powerful your blessing is and my blessing because of Jesus. 
And the Bible says he'll never impute sin to us, ever. Well, God's judging America. No, he's not. He already judged America. America's messing itself up by not going God's way. But it's not God's judgment. Now, there's coming a judgment for those who reject Christ. Jesus said in John 3, 36, the wrath of God abides on those who don't believe. But see, God loves people so much, he's long-suffering, not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. That's the only reason he waits. The only reason. Because God loves people. He already dealt with sin, and now all we have to do is receive the Son. And we need to tell people. Because, well, I think, that's why we use the law and people think, well, I'm pretty good. No, you just, you show them, man, if you've ever violated the law, James 2.10, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you're guilty of the whole thing. Wow. You know, the example that I like so well, if you can have a big plate glass window and it does not matter if you, if you run a semi through it or shoot a BB hole in it, you got to replace the whole thing. So we all need Jesus which is why God gave the law. And I love uh, Romans chapter 7, when Paul was describing his condition as a Jewish man who received the law and could not keep it, it's amazing to me. He said, I had not known sin except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Basically, I'm going to paraphrase here, I was doing good externally, but that last one, that last of the Ten Commandments got me. Not only should you not do these things, you shouldn't even want to do them. <laughs> You know, victory is not, uh, true victory is not turning away from sin, but yet still wanting to do it in your heart. True victory turns away from sin, and man, there's a change of heart. See, this is the power of grace in the new covenant. Most people don't realize it. I, I always tell people, you've heard me say this here. <laughs> I like telling them guys in jail when we minister to the guys in jail. And I say, listen, the, the, the gospel's not about behaving, it's about believing. And they look at you. They're in there for not behaving. I said, listen, behaving is a fruit, not a root. But if you, if you try to make behaving the root, I'm going to, man, I'm going to uh, get it all together and then I'm going to believe. No, you believe in what Jesus has done, that he justifies the ungodly. And if you really believe it and if you really marinate in it, if you really pull the evidence from God's word, it will change your behavior. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. It may take a while, but it will come. Amen. But you got to stay in it. That's why we stay in it. We abide in the vine. Jesus is the vine. John 15, right? Boy, this gets so exciting. I can't hardly slow down. All right. Uh, it's not normal or natural, letter E, for us to like people hating or criticizing us. We, but we can cast our cares on the Lord. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. When you, Roman numeral number two, when you start doing what God called you to do, you have a huge target drawn on your back. This is true. Increased influence comes with increased criticism. I like what I heard Andrew say one time, and I, I can see that. He goes, I love flying under the radar, you know, because it's, it's safer. But when you, the more you step out with what God's called you to do, there are naysayers. There are people. It, you've heard the illustration of the crab in a bucket when there's a bunch of crabs in the bucket and a crab that's climbing out of the bucket, another crab will reach up and pull it down. <laughs> there's a lot of crabs that want to pull you down with what God's purpose is. But listen, I say this, you don't have to make anything happen. When we talk about purpose, so many people get ahead of God because they make their purpose their God instead of God. Amen? 
And, and that's we, the saying they say all the time, and I love it. Preparation time is never wasted time. The Lord told me, he said, your lane's preparation, my lane's promotion. God's lane is promotion. He said, you stay in your lane, preparation. And God says, I'll stay in my lane, promotion. Don't promote yourself. Nope. And uh, that's not always easy. Oh, I never put my... Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, but see, that's because whenever I see that, it's because of an identity crisis in my heart. I'm not looking at who I am in Christ. I'm not drawing my fulfillment from him. Therefore, I think it's going to come from some purpose and it, or from some calling or some ministry or something. And it's not. All right. Hallelujah. Uh, letter B. That's why most people would rather stay in the background. They don't want to face the criticism and persecution that go along with stepping out and doing what God has called them to do. Look at Luke 6, Luke chapter 6. This is amazing verses of scripture here. Luke 6 and look at verses 22 and 23. Luke 6 verses 22 and 23. This is amazing. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. What? <laughs> I don't think I like this. Now, this, listen, this is talking about for the gospel. If people don't like you because you're a jerk, we'll change. Because the Bible also says when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him, Proverbs 16, 7. Amen. So, but this is talking about for the gospel's sake. Blessed are you when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Not for your bad personality, which nobody has here. 23, rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Wow. The vast majority, number three in your outline, the vast majority of Christians are insecure because they are paranoid about somebody criticizing them. And here's another one. In John 7, 24, Jesus said, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And people often will say, they'll take Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not. They'll talk about judge not. Don't, don't judge people out of Matthew 7, 1. But if you read the context, he's not saying don't judge or don't discern. He's telling you how to do it. Don't be a hypocrite in your discernment. Right? If you're, if you're walking down an alley and you see guys with knives and guns and, and bats and stuff, uh, I hope you make a discernment call that you might not want to go down that alley. Right? Right. But we're called, Jesus said, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgments. Sometimes Christians, and I've had this, where I've had checks about certain people in my life, and I've been so fearful. Well, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be judgmental. Something ain't right. I mean, I remember one guy and I could, there was just something wrong. And I, I, I saw it and I thought, no, no, I don't want to be judgmental. You know, because you don't want to be. And I'm not. You know, I, I, that was not my, I don't want to be critical. I was thinking of, of someone recently. I think, I don't want to talk about, there's nothing to say. You know, the old adage, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say nothing. That's pretty good. Pretty good advice. But some Christians are so fearful of not being judgmental that they don't judge a righteous judgment. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, let your love abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. The old King James says discernment. The new King James says discernment is good. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 says, he that is spiritual judges or discerns all things. So we need, 
you know, Matthew 7, verse 1 on down, if you read it in context, he's just saying, don't be a hypocrite with your judgment. Don't try to get a speck out of your brother or sister's eye if you've got a log in your own eye. Now get the log out first, and then you'll see clearly to help him or her get the speck out of their eye. So he still wants you to help them. That's right. That's right. Well, I was talking, well, I was actually talking to Emerson, and we were talking about this, and I said, uh, I said, in situations, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Perish the thought, not me. <laughs> How could I be wrong? No, but see, people don't even consider that. I believe a major part of being teachable is the willingness to be wrong. And, I, and that, that's a high price to pay. You know when the Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not? Proverbs 23, 23. And it says also, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire. Revelation 3, 18. How do you buy something that's free? You ever thought about that? If, if it's free, how do I buy it? And the Lord showed me one time, he said, really simple. Are you ready? There is a currency. And you know what that currency is? I got to be willing to relinquish my wrong thinking for correct, for truth. And some people, that's too high a price to pay. My mom believed it this way. My grandma believed it this way. My great-grandma, my church believes it this way. And I don't care what the Bible says. That's too high a price to pay to buy the truth. The truth is free. Jesus made it free, but we buy it when we're willing to exchange our erroneous thinking for correct truth. Make sense? Hallelujah. All right. Let me fly. Uh, the, uh, we read Proverbs 29, 25, letter A under... Uh, Roman numeral number three, if we are so insecure that we can't handle another person criticizing us, we will never see God's fullness in our lives. First Kings 17, one, and Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, Ahab was a wicked king. You know that? His wife was Jezebel. As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Elijah stood up in front of a king who was killing all of God's prophets, knowing that he himself could be killed. He was bold enough to speak the truth. That's amazing. Look at, look at, I want to read the letter D and then I want to give you Ephesians 6. He, uh, we will limit uh, what God can do, do through us if we know something is true but won't stand up for the truth because we are afraid of what people say. And I say this about counseling all the time. I have learned this when you're trying to counsel or help somebody, which we all have that, right, at some level. If I'm more concerned about that person's opinion of me than I am about them, I will, I will, I will cater everything I say because I want them to like me. And I'm a concerned that they'll get mad at me. How many, have you ever been around a person and don't look at, to the right or left, look straight forward <laughs> and you can't say something because you know they might go off? That's what I'm talking about. You can't help them. You know, I love 2 Timothy 2.7. Paul said, consider what I say and the Lord give you understanding in all things. Some people won't even consider it. Who do you think you are? And it's not about who I think I am. What does the word of God say? I'm not the standard, the Word of God is. But He wants to help us. And God's, God loves us so much that He's constantly trying to get wisdom into our life to protect us. You know Solomon asked for wisdom when the Lord said, ask anything you want. He said wisdom, he asked for wisdom to, to judge God's people and to be a good leader. And it pleased God so much 
that he said, not only am I going to give you what you asked for, I'm going to give you all the stuff you didn't ask for. When you and I ask for wisdom and how to be a blessing to people and how to function in the, in the kingdom of God and in this world, it pleases God so much. It just, there's something about it. But anyhow, look at, look at uh, Luke. Um, before we go to Ephesians 6, I want you to look at Luke 6, where, since we're there. But look at verse 26. <laughs> Woe unto you, of Luke 6, 26. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. That's amazing to me. Ephesians 6, this is what Paul asked for prayer uh, and this is, applies to you and I. In Ephesians 6, look at verse 18. This is right after he spoke of the armor of God. And verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We need to make mention of our brothers and sisters in prayer. Amen? Declare and plead the blood. That's why I got this thing coming. For those of you that weren't here, I got a, I got a thing that's called Honor the Blood. It's a, well, I ordered a thousand of them because I want everyone to have one. It's really good stuff. But anyhow, Paul says, and then in verse uh, 19, he says, And for me, this is Paul, Paul saying, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth with boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that means imprisonment, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul saying, Pray for me that I can speak the word boldly. Well, we need to pray for one another that we speak the word boldly. I speak boldness over us right now, including myself, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, on the back, letter E, we have become addicted to everyone's acceptance. And you know, go to Ephesians since you're there. Jump over to chapter 1 and verse 6. I'm going to show you this verse. This is powerful. Powerful. The reason... Many times that we can become addicted to the approval and acceptance of other people is we're not accepting our acceptance in Jesus. We need, I say it like this, I need to draw my fulfillment from the Lord and not from other people. This is what hurts marriages. Uh, you go into a marriage and a man or a woman's looking to the other person to fulfill them. Guess what? They can only do they're a person. They can't fulfill the inner void. There is a fulfillment in marriage, but it's not the ultimate fulfillment. The fulfillment is in Christ. Amen? But so look at this in Ephesians 1.6. It says this, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. The word accepted in Greek is a Greek word. It's found only one other place in the New Testament. And in, in, in that's Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And there it's translated, highly favored. You are not only accepted, you are highly favored in Christ. Wow. And here's, here's what I'm trying to, here's what I'm after. Once I, I learn to consistently, faith is accepting your acceptance, your, 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 the fact that you're highly favored with God in his son, Jesus. And when you accept that and you start saying, man, he's made me righteous. He's, he's redeemed me. He's made me holy. He's sanctified, set me apart. He's given me wisdom. He's done all this stuff. I am blessed, blessed, blessed. I'm highly favored with God. Once I, once I accept my acceptance and continually to continue to accept my acceptance in Christ, then I'm free to love people even if they reject me. But if I'm codependent upon people and I want man's pat on the back, you know, I'm going to pick on preachers. 
Preachers can get addicted to people. Good word, brother. Good word. Good word. Listen, I'm, I like compliments, but you know what? My, I, my wife set me straight on this one time. We, this has been a long time ago. We were coming back from church, and, and, and she said, uh, I said, was the word good? Was it good? And she, she looked at me, and she said, did you share the word? I said, yeah. She said, then it's good. End of story. I thought, that's pretty good. <laughs> was it the word of God? I think it was. Then it's good. End of story. Isn't that powerful? Now, I'm not saying I don't deal. I mean, you can't. I mean, we all deal with insecurities. <laughs> That's one thing every human being since the fall of Adam has in common. Everyone. Insecurities. But the more I find my security in Jesus, the more you find your security in Jesus, the more secure we are to be a blessing to other people. And that's what, I mean, God, God loves people so much. Mm, hallelujah. Look at that. All right, let's, let's quick finish here. It says, uh, letter F, it's not that we should enjoy rejection of others, but we should get to a place where if God loves us, which he does, then that ought to be sufficient for us. Next, Roman numeral number four. It's amazing how insecure we become when we aren't in a vibrant relationship with God. We need to have everyone else's approval. I said something really profound to Jace and I were talking on the phone today. And Jace asked me this question. He goes, Chris, give me something I can chew on for a couple days. He's got to do an Emmaus walk this week and he won't be here. But he said, give me something I can chew on. And here's what I said. I said, I'm going to say something here. And it's going to sound so simple, but it's so profound. It's so profound what I'm getting ready to say. But it's going to sound so simple. Go, duh, that ain't deep. That's duh. Everyone knows that. Here it is. Are you ready? There's no substitute for a real, genuine relationship with God. That is profound because that's the whole issue. That's the whole issue. If I'm drawing my life from God, if I'm, if I'm in relationship with God, you know what? There's a lot of people telling you how sorry you are. Even your own heart will. But I'm, I'm starting to see my word. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He made me this way. He justifies the ungodly, Romans 4, 5. I'm not going to stumble at that stumbling stone of what he says about me. God loves me. I am highly favored with the creator of the universe. Wow. And when stuff, well, you know, in myself, I'm not, not perfect. But in Christ, I'm as he is. Amen. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? <laughs> now, that's some seriously good air guitar there. <laughs> All right. All right, look at this. It says, uh, 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 for us to debate whether we are going to do what God tells us to do because someone might not like it is the fear of man. The, but let me go to, uh, quickly, Matthew chapter 10. My wife put up a post on Facebook the other day, and it said, two words that don't go together, Lord and no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was good. But look at Matthew 10, verse 34. <clears throat> it says, think, Jesus said, Think not that I come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. Now this is amazing. Because didn't the angels claim at Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, Peace on earth, goodwill to men? Did they? They absolutely did. But the peace that, that they, the angels were speaking of is a peace with God that did not exist under the Old Covenant. But the, there will not be peace between men until the Prince of Peace returns. 
Amen. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, I believe it's verse 18, as much if it be possible, as much as it lies within us, live peaceably with all men. We're to try to get along, but some people you can't get along with. Amen. You love them, you pray for them, but you, you can't, you know, you, you, do, you can't get along with everyone because some people, they're not going to like you. I don't understand that, but that's the way it says. So think not that I am come peace on earth. I, I came not to send peace, but a sword. Verse 35. For, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foe shall be they of his own household. Now watch this. He's saying when it comes to going God's way and putting the gospel first, not everyone's going to like you. And a man's foes can be they of his own household. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be. But here's another area. A man's foes can be they of the household of God. I've seen some of the biggest critics in the body of Christ come from other Christians. And it's disgusting. Barry Bennett said this the other day when we had him on a Zoom. And he said this, I guess I can say it. There was a particular speaker they had at Karis Bible College that as a lot of people love him, a lot of people don't. And when they had him there, they said, you could not believe the hate mail, the hate emails they got. I don't know why Andrew had this person. I don't know why. How, how could he have this person? And I used to like it. And unbelievable stuff. And Barry said something so profound. I put it on Facebook. He said, haters don't know God. And some of those haters, a lot of those haters are in the church. They spend, I mean, they spend their time going on YouTube watching people criticizing other ministers that they don't agree with. You, you ever, you've heard of the, uh, what Herman Cain talked about, Trump deranged syndrome. There's what I call in the body of Christ, charismatic deranged syndrome. There's people that don't like anything charismatic, anything that's speaking in tongues, anything. They get, they get, they go crazy about it. Oh, and you know, kundalini spirit and all this other stupidity. It makes me mad. Jesus got mad. Remember that? Remember when he got mad in the temple and he overturned the money changers tables? You know, there is a place for anger, not at people. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but at the demonic stuff behind people. Amen. All right. Let me finish. Watch this. We have no right to reject the truth for other people. I was going to say something, but... And I'm going to give you 1 Samuel 8, verses 5 through 7. Remember when the nation of Israel wanted a king and like, so they could be like all the other nations? And Samuel, the prophet, the seer, was not, he wasn't into it. And, and the Lord spoke to him in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. He said, they have not rejected you, God said to Samuel. They've rejected me. Isn't that amazing? So don't take it personal. I always say this, the devil looks for people to hate you through. It says, uh, when we don't tell people the truth because we're afraid of how they might respond, we reject the truth for them. And I remember uh, years ago, I've shared this story. I was jogging and um, uh, there, it was super hot. Don't ask me what I was doing in that heat. But, uh, I, and it was hot and I saw two Mormon missionaries down there. And I thought, man, I need to go witness to them. I need to go witness to them. And I thought, nah, it's hot. They're not into it. I'm sweaty. I want to get home. I don't want to talk to them. And then I heard the Holy Spirit use Andrew Womack's voice on the inside of me. And it said, no one has the right to reject Jesus for someone else. And it wasn't condemning, but I knew I needed to go witness to him. And so I did. And my point is, um, you know, we just, we have the message. We have the word. 
And that we, we can speak it boldly. We can pray for people. I believe the gifts of the Spirit are for the church service, but I also believe they're for the marketplace. I believe when we're out in the highways and byways, Lord, give me a word. Give me something. Help me. Let me lay hands or pray for somebody or, or whatever. Just open a door for me. Amen. And I pray that for you right now in Jesus' name. And for all those online, we call you blessed in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.